Okay, so we've just finished up a series on um, Philippians, the book of Philippians. We kind of went through verse by verse, and it was a great series, and I, you know, told people I really like doing that type of preaching where you're, you're taking a passage and working all the way through it, but we're stopping. And so for 13 weeks, we're actually going to go through something that we call the table. And I'm going to walk you through, I'm going to do a little bit of review just to catch everybody up. But the, the table is really a discipleship table. You know, so last week I did an introduction to the table and I said, if you look on um, our, oops, wrong way, if we look on our logo, you will see that there's a table. Okay, so there's a table for a reason, and we walked everybody through what the purpose of this table was. Okay, so like last week, we talked about um, the intentionality, like between, with the words, Redstone Church. We said, red's the blood of Christ, the stone has been rolled away, he's a resurrected king. We looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 for that, and then we said the church is the assembly, um, the Greek word, the ecclesia, the assembly of the people that come together as God worshipers. So Redstone Church enables us when someone says, why do you go to this church, or what's it, why is it called Redstone Church, you can say, well, red actually stands for the fact that Jesus came, and you can talk about Jesus, and then you can talk about how he died, but he actually rose again, and he died for our sins, and he gave himself, and he resurrected, and he conquered sin once for all, and he conquered death once for all, and we worship him, and we follow him, and we're the church. So it just gives you a little bit of a tool to be able to share the gospel. Well, it's the same kind of intentionality with the table. I mean, I don't love the idea of like preaching through the table itself, and, and we're not. But what we're doing is we're preaching through the Word of God and using the table as a catalyst to show what Christianity looks like. Okay, so it's going to be a 13-week series. We're in our second week right now. But we talked about table. And just a quick review. So we said, why a table? What do you think of? And I'm going to do it one more time. What do you think of when you see a table? Somebody. Food. Community. Fellowship. Family. All of those things and more, okay? So we said it's at a table oftentimes that we can have honest conversations with people. This is where walls come down, and this is where we can get real with one another, and this is where we get to know each other. This is where we laugh. But it's also the last thing that Jesus did on the night before he gave up you know, his life. If you'll remember, you know, he brought all of his disciples around a table. And he gave them this picture of this bread that was his body that was going to be broken for them and his blood that was going to be poured out for them around a table. And then there's this beautiful picture in Revelation of this future banquet that's going to take place, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's, there's table and table language and illustrations all through the Word of God. And we saw that early on and we said, let's have the table be forefront in who we are as a church because we want you all inviting people into your homes. We want you stepping into restaurants and other places and sitting with people around a table and getting real about the hardness of life and the only answer that's there, which is the gospel itself. So that's why we do community groups, so that we can go into homes and we can you know, jump into these conversations and we can further understand um, who Jesus is. But at the end of the day, the thing that we're focused on is not the table, but it's the gospel itself. So the gospel is always the true hero. Jesus is always the true hero. Not Redstone Church Elizabethan. Don't brag on Redstone Church Elizabethan. Brag on Jesus. You know, don't, don't spend a lot of time, you know, trying to explain the table. Just try to explain who Jesus is. Jesus himself is the hero. Okay, so I want to back up so you can't see answers. But we went through four legs, and then we went through the top of the table. So I want to see, for those that were here who was paying attention, so what is on top of the table? The gospel, okay? And the gospel means 
Good news, and you don't understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. The bad news is that we're separated from God. The good news is that he has reconciled us by his own blood. So the gospel is the thing that we're giving away. So as we sit around a table in all of these settings that we just talked about, it's the gospel itself that we're going to. So each one of these legs that we're going to look at, okay, they're gospel-centered something, okay? So we said leg number one is gospel-centered Worship, okay, and there's going to be three weeks of gospel-centered worship, and today we're going to look at uh, revelation and response. You'll hear those words, okay? Table leg number two was community. Good job, Casey. You know, so you're right on the front so I can pick on you. Okay, so gospel-centered community. So then we're going to jump into gospel-centered community. Table leg number three was service, okay? Very good gospel-centered service. Is it, is it, are these in your bulletin or in your worship guide? They're not, are they? Oh, okay. And, and, and table leg number four is, table leg number four is multiplication. Okay, so here's the answer sheet, right? So I call this discipleship or Jesus fellowship table. And if you'll notice, there's a vernacular adjustment that we've kind of made at this church. We talk less about, you know, we let, use the word less like Christian and Christianity because everybody in the South is a Christian, right? Everybody's a Christian. But when you say Jesus fellowship, you know, discipleship is really Jesus fellowship. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows someone else. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you were a Jesus follower. That's got a little bit more ring and sting and intentionality to it. So we're trying to talk to people about what Jesus fellowship. Okay, I understand you say that you're a Christian. Are you following Jesus? Well, what do you mean by that? And that opens up some serious conversations. So when you look at this discipleship or Jesus fellowship table, you've got the gospel on top, and then you've got worship, community, service, and multiplication. These aren't like step one, step two, step three, step four. This is Christianity. This is just Christianity. The phrase I often use is that if you're following Jesus, you're ordering your life for the gospel's sake. It impacts your relationships, and it impacts your time, it impacts your money, it impacts whether you are or are not in the Word of God and why you're in the Word of God. It impacts your, your whole purpose and your whole being for life. Jesus could have said, you've confessed me as your Lord, I'm going to bring you to heaven now. But he did not. He left us here, and the Word of God says that we might be his ambassadors as though he's making his appeal through us. And he's come to live within us and to help us to do that. So when we look at these, these legs, we follow Jesus, we point to the gospel, and as we do so, we worship him. Well, what does that mean, that we worship him? We live in community, a gospel-centered community. Well, what does that mean? We serve him. What does that look like? And then ultimately, we're about multiplication. That's an introduction, but that's where we're going. And today, we're going to focus on what does it mean to be a worshiper, okay? So in your own words, when you hear the word worship, what does that mean to you? Just throw it out to me. I'll repeat it. Worship, what does it mean? Honoring God. Somebody was bold. Andrew. What else? Celebrating. Okay. Reverence and humility. Okay, very good. These are all true. These are good. There's not like a right and wrong. I'm going to walk you through a specific definition, but it's something that we've conjured up. It's not from the Word of God. 
Did I do that? Sam, help. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> so if you look, this is the island of Patmos that was in Revelation. That's actually not true at all. I have no idea what, what, what that island is. So it went away. It's okay. We don't have to have it. I'll, okay. So just ignore the man behind the green curtain, as we saw in, in Revelation. Okay. So worship means all of these things. So gospel-centered worship has, has to have a gospel component to it. And that's where you'll hear me say today there's um, revelation and then there's response. When God reveals himself to us through all of creation, I can't wait for next week, Psalm 19, just jump into it. But when he reveals himself, we must respond to what he's revealed. But as he's revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, we understand the gospel. There has to be a response. And if there's not a worship, worship response, we're missing something. So today, I did it again. Just forget that. Don't worry about it. We're okay. So today, I'm going to walk you through a definition. Okay, now this one, I think, is in your worship guide. So if you've got your, your worship guide with you, just get you a pen and, and, um, or a pencil or something, and every time that we have like a fill in the blank, I'll try to slow down so you can actually fill in some of those words, okay? Because this is a lengthy definition. So let me read this to you. Are you ready? True Christian worship is when the people of God through gospel transformation respond in adoration of am I going too fast? Submission to and proclamation of who God is, what he does, and has done. I'm going to read it one more time, a little bit faster this time. True Christian worship is when the people of God, through gospel transformation, respond in, and somebody said it a moment ago, in adoration of, submission to, and proclamation, proclaiming, proclamation of who God is and what he does and has done. One more time, true Christian worship is when the people of God, you got that? Through gospel transformation, respond in adoration of submission to, and last word, proclamation of who God is and what he does and has done. And if you didn't get it, we're going to hit them again, okay? Because I'm going to walk through that definition piece by piece by piece by piece. That's going to be our our sermon this morning. Okay, so starting off with, click, when true, true worship is when the people of God, it starts there, people of God through gospel transformation. Let me read this passage to you in, um, you don't have to look it up, but this is, I had it on the screen, but it's not going to be there. That's okay, so just listen. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, okay? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then listen to this. A people for his own possession. These are Christians. This is, this is the people of God. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go back and look at that passage. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We are a people of his own possession. We are God's people. And it says that you may proclaim. Well, that proclamation that he's referring to there is a part of our worship. So in essence, what Peter is saying is, you were not his people, but now you are. He saved you, so go proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you. True Christian worship is when the people of God, through gospel transformation, they respond. The proclamation is a response. Okay, so that's, I think that's in your worship God. So response. You see, worship is a response. Do you see that? Worship is a response, and it's how we, the next line in your, your notes says, it's how we ascribe to the Lord, as Psalm 96 says, it's how we ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. It's how we give credit to, how we place worship where it should be, the glory that is due His name. Okay, And then the next part of that definition that I gave you earlier, it says, that we respond in adoration of, submission to, and proclamation of. Okay, so adoration, submission, and, and proclamation. These are response words. So I encourage you, look back at the passage itself, either in your Bible or on your worship guide. Let's just you go back to, to Psalm 96 and get your pen or your, your pencil out and look at these words. These are action words, okay? Look at verse number one. He says, sing. If we're true Jesus followers, we must sing to him. How can we not? We must sing. Verse number two, it says, tell. Verse number three, it says, declare. You know, so much of the New Testament, you just see Jesus would do a work in someone's life, and then they would just go tell people what he did. You know, if you look at Paul three times in the book of Acts, you'll start reading through Acts and you're like, he keeps on telling the story over and over again and it's the same story because he was sharing with people, this is what God did in my life. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It really doesn't. So sometimes your proclamation to the world does not have to be, oh my gosh, so what's the first passage I'm supposed to present as I'm sharing the gospel? Sometimes you just tell what God has done in your life and you tell it over and over and over. And that'll lead to deeper conversations, hopefully around a table. Um, but you just you share. So you declare and you tell. Uh, verse number seven and eight, and he says this three times, like sing. You've got sing three times. And then he says, ascribe. Ascribe means to give to him. So it's giving to him the praise he deserves. Uh, verse number eight, ascribe to the Lord. It says the glory that is due his name. Give to creator God the praise he deserves to King Jesus, the respect that he deserves, to our Savior, the praise and thanksgiving. And how do we do that? Well, we tell others. We sing to him. We proclaim. We declare. There's a lot of different ways that we can do it, but the charge is we've got to find out how. We cannot be the people of God and not be proclaiming. We cannot and, and not be worshiping him. Okay, and then look at verse number 8. So he says, bring an offering and come into his courts. And this speaks of church. This speaks of the assembly. This speaks of us coming together on a regular basis to worship him. So you've got individual worship, which we're going to look at a passage in a moment. You've got your family worship, but then you've got this. 
right? And it's not the central thing. It's, it's what we do Monday through Sunday, right? It, but we worship the Lord. I guess that should be Sunday through Saturday. You know, but we worship the Lord and this is a part of it. But when we come together because of the revelation of what God has done and who he is, part of our response is that we bring an offering. You know, and I said earlier that we normally have a set of time, and before COVID, we would pass an offering. There's a box back in the back. You can look in the worship guide, and you can find there's like four different ways that you can give. Okay, I'm not going to belabor that point, but I am going to say this, that giving is a part of your worship. Giving is a response to who he is, and it needs to be a normal rhythm in your life, not an afterthought. If we really go back and look at Scripture, we see that the giving was the first fruits of what he had given to us. So he gives us this much, and we say, let's take the first amount of that, and before we do anything else with it, before we put it in the bank or go buy anything, let's give it to God. This is what we do with our first fruits, because it's worship. It's a worshipful response of who he is. And then in verse number 9, he actually uses the word worship. He says, worship. I mean, this is the pinnacle of what the psalmist is pointing to, that we worship Almighty God. And then in verse number 10, he says, say the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Psalm 107.2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So just to break into action here, it's the assembly of the people of God coming together on a Sunday morning, and it says, say the Lord reigns. Let's say it together. The Lord reigns. Okay, that was with a period. This one actually has an exclamation point. Okay, so let's try it again. So sing it out. Say it. The Lord reigns. He reigns. And you declare and you proclaim who he is and what he's done. So with these action words, here's what we understand. And I think that this is in your notes. Okay, worship is, and here's your underline, it's participatory. And that's a hard word to say. Participatory. Worship is participatory, not something we attend or observe. So we participate. It's not something that we attend or we observe. And then I put, I think that we should get rid of the question, how was church today? It's such an interesting question. How was church today? Well, Maddie was spot on. Okay, the backup singer was off a little bit. The hospitality team killed it today. I mean, they really, really, really did it. Jerry stumbled. He hit a couple of rabbit trails. Um, overall, I think I would give it a 6, maybe a 6.5. Had a good beat. It was easy to dance to. You know, that's the way that we present Sunday morning worship. It's like we're coming in and we're taking it in. And then afterwards, we look at the other person. Well, how was church today? I'm guilty of it as well. And it's such an interesting question. How do you respond to how was church today? You know, the question should be, did you worship today? You know, did you, did you truly worship today? How was church today? And then we give it our 6.5, then we go out to eat, and we completely forget about it until the next week. It's like a concert or like a movie. I know that sounds comical, but that's what we do. So this is a reminder for us that we are to participate and to whom, and this is going to sound so elementary, and to whom are these worship responses directed to? They're directed to God. God is 
and will always be the object of our worship. In Mark eleven twenty two, there was this, this, this um, verse where Jesus says, have faith in God, and he goes on to talk about the person who has faith in God and the amazing things that they can do. But he does not say, have faith in faith, okay? Um, the object has to be God himself, and when we uh, worship him, we're not worshiping Redstone Church, and we're not worshiping an event. We're not worshiping worship itself. No, 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 no. Our worship always has to be of Almighty God. God is and should be the object of our worship. And then we conclude this definition with these words. It says, who he is, what he does, and what he has done. Who he is, he's God, he is creator, what he does. Look at verse number five in Psalm 96. It says, for all the little g gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And it says, but the Lord made the heavens. Okay, the last time I did this, a sarcastic community group, which I will not call out, came back and made fun of my Latin pronunciation. And I said, I'll never do it again, but I'm going to try. So this is the Latin pronunciation of the word I want you to get. It's ex nihilo. I don't want to hear it. Don't even give it to me after the service. Don't trip me up in the middle of my sermon. But ex nihilo, it means out of nothing. He spoke something out of nothing. But God, the Lord, made the heavens. So here's your litmus test for who or what you worship. Only worship an entity that can create substance out of nothing. The moon, the stars, the galaxies, the animals, humanity, a baby being born. Nothing else deserves worship, but if you can create something out of nothing, then that's pretty powerful. Can children do that? They cannot. And one of the things that I saw as a school administrator for 23 years was oftentimes children become idols that parents would worship. We love them, we protect them, we encourage them, we point them to Jesus, but we don't worship them. We don't worship our spouse. We only worship God. Um, you know, it could be anything. It could, it could be my golden retriever, you know? No, you don't worship the golden retriever. The Yankees or Tennessee football or the Elizabethan football program or whatever. You know, this, this amazing singer, Jesus taught us to begin um, the Lord's Prayer with these words. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Only God is hallowed. Only God is to be worshipped. Hallowed in your notes, if you're taking notes, it means holy, set apart, or sacred. Holy, set apart, or sacred. He alone is God. He alone is worthy of worship. Never give your worship away to anything else or anyone else. You can root for the Vols or the Cyclones or the Yankees, but just don't worship them. You can admire an actor or a musician or even a pastor, but you don't worship them. You never fix your eyes on man. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our life, the author and perfecter of our lives. And these other individuals that have these great abilities, they're dust apart from God. 
Any abilities that they have have been given to them by God. So ultimately, if you trace back the lineage of where they were even able to do anything amazing, it starts with God. Let me read this passage to you, thinking about revelation and response. This is um, from Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. This is, this is Isaiah's response when he gets a glimpse of the majesty of God. Just listen to these words. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And we preached on that several months ago. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And this was Isaiah's response. And I said, Woe to me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He stops and he says, woe to me. When I see God and his majesty and his grandeur and who he is, I bow and I drop before him because I recognize I am a man of unclean lips, which means I am a sinner and I live amongst of people that are also sinners. How can I stand before this holy, holy God? And that takes us back to the gospel. Remember, like Gospel 101, the first letter that we looked at was G, God, perfect and holy and righteous. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the good news unless you understand how amazing and how righteous and pure and how holy he is. And if you get a glimpse of that, then you come undone and you bow and you say, oh my gracious, that I'm in trouble. You are. And I am. Because there's this obstacle of sin that separates from the, us from this holy God. But then look at the rest of this. This is just a glimpse of the gospel. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It's just a picture of these, this unclean person that is now atoned for. Not only is his sin forgiven, but remember three weeks ago we talked about guilt and his guilt was taken away as well. All of the things that he's done and that you've done in your past, when Christ atones for your sins, he says, you're a new creation. Don't dwell on those things. The old is gone, the new has come. And then Isaiah has a response. He says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. There was this revelation of who God is and the atonement that came through the gospel, and then the response was, I'll go, I'll be a worshiper, I'll be a declarer, I'll sing of you and tell of you, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Because once you get the gospel, and once you understand how big he is, you can't help but worship him. Your going is a part of your worship. Isaiah is saying, I'm an unworthy sinner, yet he atones for my sins and takes away my guilt 
I'll go. I'll worship you. It's the same thing with us if we believe the gospel. Verse number one in our passage today, it speaks of a new song. We sing to him this new song. The fact that creator God, perfect and holy and set apart, chose to give himself to us as an unholy people, as an unclean people. And he died to atone for our sins and to take away our guilt. And what should our response be? Should it be of obedience? Yes. Should it be of church attendance? Actually, yes. Should it be of giving? Yes. Should it be of singing? Yes. Yes. But all of these things should just be an overflow of worship. Because apart from the worship, the church attendance and the obedience and the giving and the singing, I mean, those can just be um, the law. These are the things that I need to do to make myself think that I'm presenting myself wholly before God. This is what he desires of me, and if I do these things, he's going to be pleased with me. He's not. You're unclean, just as Isaiah was unclean. Your only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot do anything or be anyone that's suddenly going to have the Lord say, wow, I'm really impressed with whomever. You're now worthy to come before me. Your worth only comes through Jesus, so our obedience and our singing and our sacrifice and our attending church and all these things are a part of worship or we're missing the point. So true, true gospel-centered worship, it's revelation and then it's response. You know, so if you're hearing this and you're like, I, that's not a part of my DNA. I mean, I don't worship that way. I know that I don't worship as I should. Well, start somewhere. Start with a baby step. You know, go to your, your quiet time. Find a, a place and open up a psalm like Psalm 100, Psalm 96, Psalm 150, Psalm 149, 148. There's just all of these amazing psalms, Psalm 23, Psalm 1. You know, go to a psalm and read through it and then begin to declare those things back to him. You know, there's the song that we sang this morning and that we're going to sing again it's, is he worthy? I found myself over the past two weeks just singing this song. The Shane and Shane version, if you want to check it out. The singing this song and just worshiping the Lord. And that was the catalyst for my time of prayer. I find myself stepping into prayer almost like I'm going to Santa Claus or something. And I'm saying, and give me this and help this person and help this person. And I just forget to, yes, I said Santa Claus. Yes, I did. You know, but I forget to actually worship the Lord. So it's a volitional choice that we make. And sometimes we need to be prodded to do so. So just jumping into a psalm can help you with that. And if that's not good for you, then go stand on the top of a hill or a mountain. Go lay down on the driveway and look at the stars. We're going to look at it next week. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His faithfulness. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. And when you see that revelation of who God is, you can't help but worship, or you got your eyes closed. He has revealed himself in all of creation. In all of creation, the birds and the stars and the blueness of the sky, they all cry out that he is God and that he is majestic and that he is holy. And sometimes we're the only ones that are missing it. So try something, but just make sure that we are becoming worshipers. And at Redstone, we may be doing everything else right, but if we don't worship, we're missing the whole point.
And here's another thought. If there's only a certain kind of music that enables you to worship or a certain you know, worship service that you can go to, if you're like, oh, all they do is sing hymns, I can't worship to that. Or it's just all these praise songs. Or it's liturgy where you're responding back these words of God. The truth of the matter is, if we really understand the majesty of God, if we really understand who He is, then we worship as a part of our lives. It's not a Sunday morning experience. So the caution would be, if you're only worshiping on Sunday mornings, you're probably not worshiping at all. You're probably not. And if you have to be in a certain setting to be able to worship, then there's probably a kink in your worship that you need to work out because worship is a response to who He is. And on a daily basis, He gives us breath and He gives us life. He reveals Himself to us and we are to be worshipers of Him. John 4, 23 and 24 says this, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worshiping and loving God is the main thing. I've got three big questions for you and then we're going to close. Big question number one is, would you say that you worship God regularly? That's your first big question. You don't have to give me a response. But would, would you consider yourself a worshiper of God? That's a big question, and you need to wrestle with that one. Because if you're saying, I'm not sure, or probably not, then we're missing the point of what Jesus' fellowship looks like. Because everything else in all of these other tables that are not up on the screen, I have no idea why I'm pointing to the screen, but these other table legs that we'll jump into the service, the you know, community, multiplication, all of these things are an extension of our worship of God. Okay? It starts with worship. Otherwise, it's just a to-do list for Christians, and we don't, we don't need that. We need to be worshipers. So first big question for you is, do you consider yourself a worshiper of God? Let me take it to the next level. Big question number two, if we ask God the same question, would He say that you are a worshiper of Him? Or the heavenly host of angels that are watching us on a daily basis? Would they say that you worship God? Would God Himself say that you worship Him? I'm sorry. <laughs> Sunshine's like, thanks, Jerry. And then big question number three, specifically thinking about Sunday mornings, do you sing on Sundays or do you worship? Do you attend church on Sundays or do you worship? These are the things that I found myself struggling with as I was preparing this passage. Confess sin where you need to confess sin, but don't dwell in the guilt. Walk away from it and choose to be a worshiper of God. So I want to spend a few minutes in prayer. If you're new to Redstone, this is going to probably feel a little bit weird to you, but we're going to open it up for people to be able to share. And then we're going to do something a little different as we read our passage and jump back into worship again. But first off, let's just be silent before the Lord for a few moments. This is you talking to King Jesus. 
about whether you are a worshiper or not. Father, we ask that you would search our hearts and know us. Reveal to us, Lord, if there are idols in our lives, if there are other things that consume our thinking and our time to the point that we find ourselves truly worshiping them, Lord, reveal that to us and help us to be willing to repent. Lord, if we find as we search our hearts that we are ashamed to declare your praises because we're afraid of what other people might think, Lord, embolden us. Lord, remind us of how great that you are and how short life is and that our number one objective above everything else is to speak of you and to worship you. Forgive us when we haven't. Forgive us when we uh, treat church services like a concert. Lord, I pray if, if we do nothing else right at this little church plant in Elizabeth, and I pray that we would be a worshiping church. In Christ's name I pray, amen.